Hi, More Than Work listeners. Before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the United States Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade on June 24th, which stripped away the right to have legal and safe abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive health care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all people, which we've already seen with abortion bans and restrictions in countries like Poland and Malta. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive health care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and all people who, who could get pregnant anywhere in the world. Listen more by visiting podvoices.health. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Hello, and welcome back to More Than Work this week. I just, I'm going to get you to the episode pretty quickly because it was a lot of fun to record and a lot of fun to edit and kind of difficult to edit because this guest and I kind of went off the tracks a few times, but I hope that you're as entertained as we were by ourselves. It's comedian Philip Simon. He's a pro comic here in London and in the UK and has done some really cool stuff, but it was just kind of awesome to talk to someone. I've talked to comedians who are like me who have been doing it as a second job or kind of a hobby that's eventually a goal for them to get to to what Philip's doing, which is actually doing this as his job. So it was really interesting to talk to him about how he got there and what he does. He does some charity work too, which is awesome. And that's one thing that really resonated with me when I thought he would be a good guest for the podcast. So um, just kind of forgive us a little bit because you're dealing with two people who think they're funny. One of them for sure gets paid to be funny. The other one is, is me who uh, isn't doing that yet, but, but still, you know, makes people laugh every once in a while. Um, and I just, yeah, have fun with this one. If you're listening and you're in the UK, he's going to be at Edinburgh Fringe. So he'll talk about that at the very end, but start looking and supporting acts who are going to be there. I'm going to be at Camden Fringe just for three dates with one of my friends doing a double bill and just trying out a longer set, just kind of like I did last year, but a little better. Let me know if you have any guest ideas or you have any feedback. I'd love to hear it. And I'm really excited. I've got a couple guests similar to Philip who are really pros in their areas coming up to not all comedians, but an author coming up and a few others that I'm really excited for you. So stick with season six. Don't forget to leave a review, rate, all that kind of stuff. Thank you. All right. So my guest today is Philip Simon. He's an award-winning comedian, writer, and actor. So thanks for being on, Philip. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Glad you're here. So where am I talking to you from? I am in my front room at home, which started off life as it was meant to be a snug, a spare room, that kind of thing. And then lockdown hit and it became like an emergency study where Mm -hmm. everyone had to work when the kids were being homeschooled elsewhere. Yeah. A lot of people had that, that room transition, I think. The room transition and the mental breakdown, I think the (laughs) the two very much went hand in hand. Yeah, totally. And and by your accent, I mean, I think people listening can know that you're somewhere in London, which is where I'm sans the accent. I'm in the London, Hertfordshire borders. Is that what you meant when you said, where where are you? You didn't mean the room I'm in. No, that's, but that's fine. That shows how London centric I am. I'm like, well, of course, everyone knows I'm in London. Um, you want to know <laughs> the exact place I'm in. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in London, Hertfordshire, home. Cool. First of all, you're an award-winning comedian, writer, and actor. That's what we went through. So you started out an actor, though, right, before you were the other yes. things. I did, yes. When I was about 12, 
I realised I was terrible at everything at school. And I went to quite an academic school and a rugby, sporty type school. And I was awful at all of that. But I was good at acting. I was good at performing. And I enjoyed that. And I was lucky the teachers there were happy to nurture that and not just go, well, there's nothing we can do for you. So I joined youth theatre out of school and I did the school plays and I got an agent and did a few small sort of TV jobs and commercials and things like that. And then when I left school, I went to drama school, became an actor, did that for about 10 years, stopped liking it as much, mm-hmm. started stand up, which I'd already started to think about. And f- from the time I started being an actor, people were always telling me I should be doing comedy I'm funny and I should be you make us laugh you sure you don't do stand-up that kind of thing and I resisted it because I, I always wanted to be an actor but mm-hmm. the thing about being an actor is you wait so long for somebody to give you a job that when you finally get that opportunity you kind of go oh this is what it is doesn't maybe live up to the expectation I had some lovely jobs I really enjoyed a lot of what I did but eventually I didn't want to do it anymore so I started stand-up and from the moment I first performed stand-up on stage that was my happiest I've ever been that was just I kind of came alive yeah but 10 years of acting I mean that's quite a while to be doing that did you have any time that you I'm very, I'm very stubborn <laughs> yeah well no but if it, did you like it at some point during that or was it always just kind of not what you wanted but you had no I loved it I I loved it I, I loved being at drama school I, I went to the Guildford School of Acting, which is quite a well-established school. It's got some famous people who went there as well. So it's quite quite well-respected. I did a three-year course there. And you leave, you do a showcase, get an agent. My first job out of drama school was a TV commercial, which is great because it's sort of two days work, but you earn mm-hmm. enough money to sit back for six months. I did some theatre, and I absolutely loved that, some touring theatre where I did the acting asm job the assistant stage manager where you you've got a few lines in the play but you're also having to move scenery and chip in mm-hmm. with all that and i i loved that absolutely loved it i worked with people i'm still friends with now and that was over 20 years ago and i i've lost touch with people i met five years ago so you know i i've made some really good friends doing that job did some pantomimes which is great british tradition of silliness at christmas always kind of veering towards comedy Mm -hmm. but not knowing that I should be doing comedy really did a few tv bits but you know you're you're at the studios for a week and you've got three lines to perform (laughs) there's a lot of time to sit and wait and do nothing when you're actually performing I loved it I, I really enjoyed it when I wasn't acting I was temping in offices which is really easy you know I wasn't having to be a waiter I wasn't having to work minimum wage cleaning pots and pans and things i was able to have the flexibility of working in an office which i was good at and i had contracts that lasted a day or contracts that lasted a few years and it meant if i had an audition i could just disappear i could go for a job audition or or take a week off to do some work and there was no commitment so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so at at its peak i loved it uh, the big job I did was playing Daddy Pig in the Peppa Pig theatre production. <laughs> and I need to make it clear it was a theatre production because a lot of people get very cross if I even hint at the possibility I was Daddy Pig on TV. But, uh, but I did that for a year and a half. It was puppetry. I don't know if you've seen Avenue Q, but it was that kind of puppetry where we stood on stage and the audience is able to see us as we work the puppets but because they're kids they didn't see us they saw the puppets they they saw the characters so we were kind of invisible to them really but it was an incredible job that destroyed me physically Mm -hmm. and emotionally and when i came out of that after a year and a half we we did the west end We we toured the uk and ireland and then we did the west end over the christmas period this was 2000 and nine to 11 when it came to the end of the, the run they offered us the chance to stay on but i was like, i don't want to i don't want to just do this so i left thinking oh i'll go into loads of other jobs and nothing really satisfied nothing i didn't i didn't really want to do that anymore yeah so i just carried on temping did did a stand-up course started stand-up 
and here I am, starring in a podcast. Yeah, well, that's 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 a good trajectory, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I think you you might have peaked. I hope not, but we'll see. So with the comedy, I mean, taking the course, and that was probably the first time you'd been in any kind of course in a long time. How did you decide to take a course versus just go do it? Because there's a a lot of debate, I think, among comics about do you even need to do a course or not? I did one um, because I felt like I like to have courses. I like to be bona fide in some way. So how did you decide to go about it that way? I had been writing ideas, jokes and ideas for a long time anyway, just not knowing what I was going to do with them. Mm-hmm. I just... Anytime I thought of something, it kind of went in the mental um, kind of notebook and then I might write it down somewhere. And I had been randomly to a an afternoon open mic somewhere. I can't remember where it was now. And no one turned up. There was no audience, only like three other comedians. And I was so desperate for this not to happen. I did because I... I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to get up on stage. I've got nothing to say because mm. all the ideas in my head, they're not formulated. They're not structured. That was my very first introduction to stand-up. And I don't even remember when it was, like the, the time frame between that and going to do this course. But when I left Peppa Pig, I knew already about this place in Camden called The Comedy School because I'd done a, a sitcom conference, I guess, like a day's conference mm. with casting directors there and writers there. And you went from session to session. And so I knew about the, the comedy school. So I just looked on their website. I was just temping one day. I was, do you know where I was? I, I was, I was temping in an office that rehouses people when they are uh, made homeless through an insurance claim. Hmm. So the house floods and it was my job to either find them accommodation or, find furniture and stuff for their accommodation that that was one of my temp jobs and i was just sat there one day googling nonsense and i thought i'm going to see what this what this school could offer me and i did the course i i signed up there and then yeah it was eight weeks on a sunday morning in camden which is there's no way comedy is meant to work then (laughs) there are about 14 of us on the course i think only about two or three of us were performers the rest were doing it for different reasons someone was doing it to win a bet someone was doing it because their friend had done it before and they'd had fun i think there were only a couple of us and now from my course i think i'm the only one still doing straight stand-up there's maybe two other performers i can think of but i knew as soon as i got there that's what i wanted my career to be i Mm. I remember sitting in that room the first time and the guy who runs it, Keith Palmer, kind of went round the room and everyone was being a bit coy when he, he was saying to them, do you think you're funny? And they were going, oh, I don't, well, I, I mean, people tell me I'm funny. And, uh, and he got to me. I was like, yes, I'm, I know I'm funny. Um, <laughs> I know I don't know how to structure what I've got yet and I need the discipline. But I also know I don't want to be driving to Glasgow for 20 quid to drive back from Glasgow, you know, so I I really knew that I wanted to think seriously about it as a career. And that course gave me the structure that I needed to take ideas and material, see what I could do with it, play around with what I could do with it in a very safe space. And I think without that course, I would have been kind of just lost on the open mic Mm -hmm. circuit for a long time and since then i I did that course in 2011 so where are we now 2022 it's it's exactly just over 11 years since i did it since then the opportunities that i've had in the stand-up world directly from them Mm. have been amazing i've worked with them i still go back and talk to the current students and do a q a and talk to them about the circuit and it's that involvement that I really, I really like. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it created a different part of the community for you than the the broader one too, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. So do you remember the first joke you wrote that you properly wrote? (laughs) I remember the first joke I told. Okay. 
So this, I, I must have been, I don't know, five or six, seven. <laughs> and I was, I was being lippy to my dad, which wasn't like me. Uh, <laughs> um, I think my, my brother, who's four years older than me, was being a, a bit of a dick. And I was winding him up to see the reaction from my dad. My my dad said something like, um, stop it, Philip, don't stir. And I said, I can't stir. I haven't got a spoon. And I was so <laughs> proud of myself that this joke had kind of come come off because <laughs> I could see he was impressed. Cross, but impressed. Yeah. Um, so that was the first joke I, rem- I remember vividly performing. Writing. I've got one of my favourite jokes, which is one I call grandma's obituary which is where i read out the obituary from where my grandma died and by the end of it it's actually become a lonely hearts advert for me (laughs) um and i wrote that a long time before my grandma Mm -hmm. died yeah and i never used it obviously it was just one of the ones i'd written and just had somewhere in the in my brain file and then when she did die, I used it. And it was very cathartic because we were very close. She was my only living grandparents. So mm-hmm. very close. I still sometimes use it now. And it's lovely to be able to say her name. And so that that's the one, I think, my oldest memory of a joke that I structured and put together and I'm quite proud of as well. Yeah, that's my So I... I mean, I'm a much newer comic than you. So I have a few things I've written about my grandma and one of them works pretty well so far. I'm still cleaning it up, but, um, and I told my mom, it's just, I like that I'm honoring her in that way, even though it's kind of having a go at her a little bit, it's just fun. Like Mm. it's sometimes fun to write jokes that kind of, you know, poke at people that you love, but also, you know, you're spending your time on stage talking about them. So. Yeah. And I I get to say her name and I I get to, Sharon, actually, I did it recently at a gig, and I said her name, which is Daphne Benjamin, and then shortly afterwards, someone shouted out, I think I know your mother. <laughs> and it was such a Jewish response. I'm Jewish, obviously. I should say yeah. that to any listeners who think he's about to go off on a rant. I'm Jewish. <laughs> um, so any rant I'm allowed to go on has been endorsed by my, my people. Um, but... It was such a Jewish... He'd, he'd been a member of our synagogue. Hearing the name Daphne Benjamin had triggered in him, oh my goodness, I totally know who that person is. The location where we were made sense. And, and he just shouted out, I think I know your mother. Which is a weird heckle to get, but great fun as well. And it wasn't, it wasn't an easy gig, so I was quite happy to chat to him for a few minutes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice when you can do that. And, you know, all our comedy really is personal. It's about, it's about us. Even if you're, uh, writing jokes, there's a bit of you in all of it, or if it's Mm -hmm. anecdotal. So I I like it. Yeah, that's cool. So do you have a favorite part of, of what you're doing now? I mean, is it the writing? Is it the performing? Is it both? Neither? I now really love talking to the audience i compare a lot i host the shows quite often i run my own club where i live as well and that's really nice to be able to host and compare but because since lockdown obviously we weren't allowed to do stand up in the same way and the chance now to get back out there and talk to the audience is really really special and it's a skill that I've got. I can do it. It's not flawless. I don't, you know, I, I make mistakes. So I flounder sometimes. Or there are definitely times I get halfway home and think, oh, I should have said that. That would have been funnier. But I'm quite good at thinking on my feet, which after the the birth of my first son was a skill that deteriorated very quickly because I was so tired. But clearly I'm less tired now. Um, <laughs> maybe don't tell my wife that. Um <laughs> But uh, I'm traveling a lot f- for comedy as well. And being able to talk to the audience 
when you're abroad and you don't have necessarily the same shorthand of being able to talk about the London tube because they live in London or London house prices because they live in just talking to people, making them laugh, making them remember what it was to be kind of out in a live entertainment Mm. scenario, which they weren't able to do. You know, we can moan about us not being able to do it, but they weren't either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so during lockdown, so many people in entertainment and and definitely comics did lose like their ability to do their livelihood, at least in the traditional way. Like I, you know, being new did zoom comedy and it was fine for me, but I understand why some people didn't want to do it, but you ended up doing your own thing using Mm. zoom. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, lockdown was awful. I just, it, it came overnight. My diary emptied overnight it was March 2020, the week lockdown hit, I had a full diary for that, just for that week. The day after I was meant to fly to Switzerland to film a commercial, I was going to come back and do a corporate comedy set, a private party, a school PTA gig. A lot of work went out the window overnight. And we all just assumed, oh, it'll just be a couple of weeks, be fine, Mm. we're back in no time. And then it wasn't. It was months and eventually much longer before comedy really came back. People started doing the the Zoom online gigs and we all tried to do a few of those, mainly to try and stay some kind of relevant Mm -hmm. um, and in people's minds. And I think that was important. I was very lucky I didn't have to get a real job during lockdown. I was able to earn enough from the bits that I was doing. But because I was also homeschooling my children, I could see how bored and frustrated they were. So they Mm -hmm. were, how old? Must have been three and five at the time. And I was a terrible teacher because I'm not a teacher. I'm a dad and I'm not a brilliant dad. But (laughs) Um, no, I'm a very good dad but I'm not a good teacher and I didn't want to be a teacher either. And they didn't want me to, you know, you're living through a pandemic. You want to look after Mm. them. So I try to think of ways I could entertain children and ways that I could keep my comedy brain somehow active. So I came up with a children's comedy show, which did nothing for my comedy brain, but did keep me active and in the world of comedy. So I created a kid's show called schools out comedy club. And the idea being, Originally, I was going to do a bit like Joe Wicks, who was doing his daily workouts. I was going to, a, yeah. to do a daily comedy show for five, just five minutes each day. The kids were going to send in jokes and I would tell those jokes and say, goodbye, kids. We'll see you tomorrow. It became a nightmare to put together. So it never became daily. It became sort of weekly, I think, and eventually every other week because I had to look after my kids as well. And putting the shows together... You know, Joe Wicks would just go live at nine in the morning or whatever it was yeah. and do 20 minutes of exercise. I needed to prep a show and film it, edit it, put it out, plug it everywhere, get the, the kids to send jokes in. Some kids were doing videos of themselves telling their jokes. I, I was editing those into the videos. So I did that. I did some live shows with it on Zoom as well. So I was hosting it and getting the kids to tell each other their jokes and I did throughout, I think, the Easter holidays. It was part of the Leicester Comedy Festival. I did a, a whole series of it for, I think it was about 20 different shows. They're all on YouTube. So if anyone's listening and wants to entertain their children, go to Schools Out Comedy Club on YouTube. Completely free. The show was nominated for a, a Best Kids show at Leicester Comedy Festival, which was lovely. But it meant that I could stay kind of in the world of comedy Mm-hmm. we printed a joke book as well so all the jokes that were submitted by the kids there's another comedian called called joe Bohr who did some cartoons for the book and i compiled it and we're selling that for charity it's raised money for fair share which is a charity that raises money to feed families and vulnerable children i got a thousand books printed uh i sold out last week so nice that's exciting um that's that provides about four thousand meals in total for the charity so 
that that said i need to make the donation but <laughs> when i make when i make my last donation which will be hopefully this tomorrow maybe uh this week they'll it'll be four thousand meals that they'll be getting which is lovely because the kids gave me the, I, the joke the kids gave the jokes i didn't really want to start monetizing that for myself which is ridiculous i'd be kicked off the apprentice on week one but <laughs> i didn't want to monetize it for me mm. i'm i'm now in the process of printing the next batch of books so we can keep selling them because i've been selling them at gigs and that's been really helpful and also i'm doing a live show so i'm going, taking it to the edinburgh festival to do it for two weeks in august so it's that that kept me going that was that was the main thing i did also start a podcast with another comedian called rachel krieger uh that was called you talking to me and it's basically (laughs) uh jews talking so we have a couple of guests and we talk about their lives and experiences growing up as jews yeah so you got got up to a lot but um as far as the charity i mean i think not everyone would think that way though that they shouldn't profit for themselves and how do you choose fair share versus something else I chose Fair Share mainly because of the work they're doing to help feed children. So it's quite famous during lockdown that our government stopped supporting children who needed school meals. Well, they weren't in school, so why were they going to get school meals? But that meant their parents who were homeschooling them were having to find extra money they weren't expecting to have to find. Mm -hmm. Marcus Rashford, who's a very famous footballer, I'm told, Uh, He started this campaign and really got on it with the government. And he's an ambassador for Fair Share. And when I was looking for a charity, I wanted something that benefited children. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't ring fence the money. It can't just go for children. But they do assure me that the meals that they provide statistically generally go to families. And therefore you're benefiting children. But I was just appalled at the way our government treated the children who were i would say some of the worst affected in a way that we won't even know for maybe i don't know half a generation who knows but just seeing my own three and five year old and we live in a fairly nice area nice house got a garden we got playing fields around the Mm -hmm. neighborhood park space so we can even at the height of lockdown we could get out the house and we could exercise and we could do all the things we were legally allowed to do um, because we're not in the cabinet. So, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, no parties, right? No, no parties at all. Um, Yeah. We, we even, we had a children's entertainer come to the house to be in the front garden for my son's (laughs) birthday. It was just Uh four of us. My sister-in-law came as well. She was in our bubble so five of us sat on the driveway watching this children's entertainer entertain people walking past going, what the hell is going on? So we stuck to the rules, Boris. Anyway, yeah. not important. Very important. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think for me, I, I wanted the charity to be about children because the children were the ones that had donated their jokes. And I just, I just didn't feel that I could really monetize it for myself because yeah. i done a um was it crowdfund what's that thing is that mm-hmm. yeah crowdfunder like yeah yeah i did a crowdfunder to help get get it off the ground and that helped and that money went towards some of the printing costs and paying for the cartoons and everything else and yeah i i think it was it was important to me that i didn't look like i was cashing in Mm. on their goodwill yeah what an idiot no (laughs) it's with regret you're fired (laughs) i i don't know i i'm a lot of people who are on this podcast and i talk about a lot about giving back so i think it's great but yes sometimes it'd be nice to all keep our money i I think the thing is my wife was working throughout lockdown so we had an income She's a key worker. So there was money coming in. Yes, I lost a stupid amount of money in terms of work, but I was able to do other things. I was able to do the Zoom things. And we had had support. I had some government support. 
as a self-employed person. So it didn't really feel like I was on the breadline in the Mm. way that loads of other people were. And rightly or wrongly, I decided, uh, you know, I'm benefiting from the shows now. So when I do the live shows, people buy tickets and that comes to me. I'd go into schools and I do... I do some workshops with kids now where I do some of these shows and we get the kids up telling jokes. And I've done some Zoom ones and I've done some live ones. They pay for those. So I I am monetizing it in that respect. But the joke book just felt like it had to be almost like a pure project. Yeah. And once it's there, I can get it reprinted and reprinted if I need, if I need to. And I can, as long as we don't mind our living room being full of joke books again. Because <laughs> they sell well at Christmas, <laughs> you know, Chris- Christmas on the website they sell very well. Uh, PhilipSimon.co.uk forward slash shop. They sell incredibly well. But I'm taking them to gigs now, and people are really supportive. I, I talk about it at the end of my set. I-, I allow sort of three to four minutes to talk about the joke book, and I tell some jokes from the book, and it's a lovely kind of bit that I'm able to do with it. And audiences are happy to support the arts. They're happy to support a charity. They might want to take something home for their kids. Yeah. I did Hot Water Comedy Club in Liverpool, which is one of the best comedy clubs in the UK, but certainly I would say the best in Liverpool. And then I think in one night there, I sold about a hundred books. Oh, and that wow. was because that was because the, sorry, two nights there I sold one hundred books. And that was because the security guards were making people buy books. <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were so supportive. But the people coming out were supportive as well. They've all got kids or nieces or nephews. Or, mm-hmm. And they're just really supportive. So I'm, I'm really pleased I did it because it gave me a focus in lockdown. And it's yeah. given me something to focus on now when I do other shows. So I, I can now do my own grown-up comedy. And I can also yeah. invest in doing some children's shows as well. Yeah. Well, and that is, I don't know if that's a challenge for you, but I know for me, just some of my friend's kids and my niece, my nephew, my one nephew is 17 now. So he wants to hear some off jokes, right? He, he longs for that. But the little kids, I have my one, my one friend, the kids always like, right, like, tell me a joke. And I go, tell me one of your jokes. I'm like, I can't, you know, even if it's not dirty, you're not going to get it. And so I'm definitely going to be buying one just because I need to bring them some jokes back or just, <laughs> just for me to have them on hand. But I think it is cool because kids do have a sense of humor and they do appreciate stuff. They do. And actually during lockdown, it was really important for kids to be laughing. I know yeah. some people who were on their own during lockdown, their only children. So they didn't have siblings to play with. They didn't have friends to play with. And I, I know quite a few of them were watching the shows on a daily basis when we did the live shows. Mm-hmm. I had jokes sent in from America, Germany. You know, that people were sending in jokes from all over. Some of them terrible, yeah. by the way. Some of the jokes were awful. But, <laughs> but mostly they were editable into some form of coherent joke. Um, and the kids get credited as well. So when I'm telling the jokes yeah. on the videos, they all get their name and their age put up on the screen and in the joke book it's got their name and their age as well and it's it's lovely it's it's a really it's a really nice kind of community feel to it yeah so yeah it's it's good i'm just now imagining you like watching a kid tell a joke and then just heckling the kid that's a terrible joke well my (laughs) i I do get my son to workshop jokes if he comes up with something so um (laughs) we there's a weekly joke contest that i enter and they, they always give you a theme. Yesterday, the theme was mirrors. And the joke I came up with was, um, I always use mirrors when I make love because sometimes you have to take a long, hard look at yourself. <laughs> and I sh- showed that to my wife and she laughed. And I submitted it. I didn't win. I've, I now know. Livid. But... Uh. My son was like, what What joke did you submit? What joke did you say? I said, I can't. I'm really sorry. I can't tell you. But why don't you see if you've got a better joke that you can tell? So he told me a joke. I can't remember what it was now. Otherwise, this story would have been cracking. But I can't, tell you what, I can't remember <laughs> what it was. But it was sort of halfway there. But instead yeah. of 
patronising him and going, oh, that's so good. Well done. I was like, oh, I think the, the premise, what you'll come up with is amazing. That's really clever. I, maybe if we just tweak the ending, you know, the five-year-old, if he's tell, telling me a joke, then I'll just laugh. His was, why did the, I think it was like, why did the clock cross the road to get to the mirror on the other side? That was his, <laughs> that was his attempt. So I said, I'm not, I said, I said, you know what? It's brilliant. I'm not going to submit it because it's not actually, it's not actually funny, but it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> it is funny, actually. No, but it's, it's, so it's funny because I've told you a five-year-old said it. If I yeah. submitted well, that you would have said it. as me, a 43-year-old, they'd be like, what is this? <laughs> my my favourite, and I, I know this isn't the point of the podcast, but my, my favourite one um, is uh, I, I was teaching them knock-knock jokes, which is classic. We all love a knock-knock joke. And um, there's a, quite a well-known one. I'm sure you must know. Uh, we, we, we'll do it now. See if it works with okay. the with the buffering. I don't know what, like, but let's try. Knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting Moo. cow. Who? Thank you. Right. So you know <laughs> that joke. So I told, and my son loved it. Really found it hysterical. Uh, this is when he was about five or six, I guess. Um, really found it hysterical and he was telling it all over the place absolutely loved it and i said to him why don't we try it with a different animal what do you think he went yeah so he did this knock knock who's there interrupting sheep <laughs> interrupting sheep moo because he'd forgotten to change the sound <laughs> so <laughs> he he doesn't he didn't at that stage quite get um, <laughs> the humour, but he loves jokes. He doesn't like they never watched the show. I for mm-hmm. them it was a break from me, their deputy head teacher, um, t- teaching them. Uh, so they ne- they never watched the show. A couple of times they tried to be part of the filming, but they didn't have the the kind of staying power to do it. So I I, I did the filming post homeschooling, and they watched TV. Yeah. Yeah, and get a break from you. And that that was actually quite weird, because then I'm basically... I, I've come into this room here to entertain other people's children <laughs> whilst neglecting my own children, who were next door. Right, well, this is the first time this has ever happened to me on this podcast, but I have no idea what I even asked you in the first place. So I, I think it was, great. how are you? Oh, where where <laughs> am I talking to you from? Um, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, no, but that's great, and it's good you were able to do all that. Oh, it was about the charity. That's what it was. But charity, yes. I think it's I think it's great that you did that. So, as far as doing the podcast, I mean, I started a podcast too. What do you like about doing your podcast, and why did you pick that subject of, of Jewish people talking to each other? Basically, I think what's what I liked about doing the podcast when we started is different from now because when we started, it was during lockdown, and we had access to people and their time was much freer mm. and it was a really nice way to sort of be in other people's homes there were four of us so two hosts actually five of us we had a producer as well so two hosts one producer and then two guests sometimes all over the world we did one where someone was in north london and someone else was in jamaica we mm. did one where someone was in la another person was in israel so lots of different people we're we're coming into their homes and we're talking to them sometimes we're talking to celebrity level people that were like not only are we talking to you we're inside your home this is amazing um and also it was a it was a podcast that we felt hadn't been done or even a chat show that hadn't been done there's not bizarrely although people think we control the media there's not actually a lot of jewish output (laughs) And even if you look at what Jewish stuff there is at the moment, it's quite secular. So there's Friday Night Dinner, which is a great sitcom about Friday Night Dinner. But actually, it's not overtly Jewish. That could be Sunday lunch. There's Grandma's House, Simon Amstel, brilliant comedy, really great sitcom, fantastic characters and casting, everything about it. But it's considered a Jewish sitcom without having much if any Jewish content at all, there's one on, I think it's on Netflix now, hapless, which just having its second series at the moment, I think, or just filming at the moment. 
And that I, that's a Jewish sitcom for sure. But that was so well hidden when it was first out. It was you could have easily missed it. But we had the writer of that as one of our guests, which was oh. great, and a couple of the uh, couple of the people who've been in it as well. It was just really nice to get people together to talk not about serious Jewish stuff and not about Israel, which seems to be what people want to talk about when they hear us talking about Jewish stuff. But we were talking about what their favourite Jewish foods were and what their favourite Jewish arguments were. Mm -hmm. And do they have a favourite, a famous Jewish connection that is interesting? Uh, It was things like that. It was just a lot of fun to do. Now, since the podcast has grown and we now know we're in the top 5% of podcasts, which is very exciting. And don't go looking at those numbers. Um, It's, it's just really nice to see that we've got a bit of a following. We've got a Patreon with it as well. And there's some, a little bit of money coming in for that, which just means we can uh, not earn anything ourselves because it all gets kind of put back into yeah. covering the, the setup costs. As I'm sure you know, the setup costs can be quite high. Um, yes. And it can lead to live shows, which is something we're talking about as well, because especially in the Jewish conference world, there's p- potential to go and do those which could could take us all over the world possibly mm-hmm. but it was, it's just a really nice way to have a chat pass the time with some friendly people we were doing all the editing and everything ourselves so that was quite a good learning curve yeah our our output over lockdown was huge as a result so yeah what's the question <laughs> It was, it was, what do you like about doing the podcast? <laughs> oh, nothing. I hate it. I think. It's a waste of time. <laughs> no one listens to podcasts. It requires having a memory, which we've both now shown we don't have, which is great. So I hope someone, maybe I'll read the transcript to know what this conversation's about at this point. Yeah, exactly. It'll just yeah. be me going, what was the question? And you going, I don't know, what was the question? Right. And so, Philip, in addition to the work you're doing in comedy and on your podcast, you also teach part time, correct? Well, sort of. I've been doing, I guess it's sex education for um, about, God, about 15 years, probably. I didn't consider it to be a part time job as more of a hobby. Basically, I, I used to work with a charity many years ago called the Jewish AIDS Trust, which was specifically set up to assist people in the Jewish community that had AIDS, but also they then had uh, an education program that went into schools teaching about STIs, safe sex, um, puberty, whatever year you're at, whatever school year you were in, there was something to teach. Um, So I've been doing that for the past 15 or so years as one of their facilitators. And it's one of the jobs that I was doing between acting jobs to help me survive as comedy took off and I didn't need to be doing the sideline jobs anymore. This was the one I felt quite passionate about because it was a chance to pass on some really useful knowledge and information to the school children that will hopefully protect them and their friends in the future. So I, it's weird. I, I, I don't feel like it's a job. I'm mean, I get paid for it, but, it's it's really awful to say I don't need to do it I just I enjoy doing it and I think there's something about the nature of the work that's important to do because certainly especially within the Jewish community there was a lot of sheltered upbringings Mm -hmm. and beliefs maybe 15 years ago that aren't as common now but people didn't assume that Jews could get STIs or unwanted pregnancies, things like that. And actually it's important to shatter those myths. It's all age appropriate. So for the younger children, puberty and relationships and boundaries, we talk about internet safety, bullying, anti-bullying, hopefully, Um, anti-Semitism, because obviously we go into the Jewish schools. So we talk about things like cyber safety. It's it's all encompassing. We, We see kids from year five up to year 13. So whatever life stage they're at, is all relevant. Yeah. And well, it's interesting too. I remember my sex ed class and it was, it was the only time anyone talked to me. It was in seventh grade. And my mom still has never said a word about it really. 
You know, really? it's, wow. I think she makes an assumption things have happened at some point, but it's funny how in certain families too, you're never going to get any education, you're never going to get right. any commentary on it. And so it was super important just to even have that. I, I think on the one hand, parents are happy for it to be outsourced to the school to do because then they don't have to have that embarrassing conversation. And also the schools outsource it to us, the organization that I work for, they they outsource it to them because then they don't have to do it. And certainly in a religious school, it's easier for them mm-hmm. to say, well, it's on the curriculum, but we don't want to talk about it, but we still have to do it. So let's bring in these people to do it. And then we can almost wash our hands of it. It's done. Everyone's happy and they've complied with the curriculum. But one thing we say to the children is at the end of this session, go home and talk to your parents. They know you're having these classes. Mm. They're not a surprise. In some schools, they do a parents chat as well, where the parents come in and the organization actually talks to them to say what they're going to be teaching the children. And, um, and I say, go and talk to your parents. They don't want to have that conversation with you any more than you want to have that conversation with you because it's awkward <laughs> and embarrassing and they're little babies growing up. But it's important that you should feel comfortable to ask the questions that that you want to ask. But I, I find it a very rewarding way to spend my time to go and stand in front of a class because I'm not a teacher. And I mean, homeschool definitely proved that. I am not a teacher, <laughs> but I am a facilitator and when I stand up in front of an audience and I do stand up or I compare, that's exactly what I'm doing when I do these classes because you have to think on your feet. The kids ask questions, which we allow, we we encourage. They're not going to get in trouble for saying dirty words or naughty words or anything like that because they're in context of what we're talking about. As long as they take it a bit more seriously than they might at the age of, was it year five, year six, year seven? So it's a very rewarding way to spend my time. And it has also helped with the comedy because I did used to do an entire routine about some <laughs> of the questions that the children ask because they we give them a scrap of paper and they can write anonymous questions so that nobody knows it was them who asked the question. And I read out some of them in, the, in my stand-up, which... Out of context, they're very funny questions. In in context, they make perfect sense, the types Mm -hmm. of questions people are asking. And actually, individually, some of them are very interesting questions that might well make you go, "That's I hadn't thought about that. Like one of the questions Mm -hmm. was um, uh, they wanted to know if it was true that black people had black sperm. And if you take that out of the comedy context – that's yeah. a very, really interesting question that if you don't know much about general anatomy and the way the body works, and you also live quite a sheltered life in a particular community, why is it so outrageous that you would ask or think that that kind of a question? And isn't it better that you ask it and find the answer than go through your life yeah. just assuming that everyone's body fluids are different colours and uh, so th- things like that are quite amusing. Uh, I have to sometimes remember that I'm not in stand-up mode. Um, <laughs> I I once said something that was me in compare mode and not in teacher mode because I think what the question was um, <laughs> something like, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I can say these words on your podcast, actually. You might want to. Yeah, I just I no. can tick the, tick the explicit box. It's right. Fine. So one of the questions was, is it wrong for a man to masturbate with another man? And I said, I mean, I'm working, so it's not ideal. And that, fortunately, the teacher laughed. The kids didn't quite get the nuance of it. But you you do have to be careful. Um, Yeah. So one, one of the kids wrote on a piece of paper, can I date you? Now, what they meant by that was, I'm a boy, can I date another boy? And once we drill right. down into that, that's what it meant. That's, But obviously, if they're writing, can I date you? That <laughs> opens up a whole can of worms that needs to be investigated and safeguarding issues. So it it's a really interesting job to do. And I'm very, yeah. I'm, I'm proud of the work that we do doing it as well. 
that's that's good and it does sound rewarding so you are helping helping kids out and also just how you got into it in the first place so nice well so on, on this podcast which i know you don't listen to podcasts but just so you know <laughs> you've, you've been listening to half of one anyway when i've been talking one thing i do at the end is just ask the guest if they have any advice or mantra they want to share with people just in general it could be about anything i'm often asked by people in the industry what my advice is because as I, said, I go back to the comedy school and do talks with them i'm often asked one bit of advice i would give to new acts on the circuit and i always say the same thing to them and i imagine i could say the same thing to anyone that's generally just don't be a dick um you'll get called out you'll get caught out it's a very small circuit everyone knows everyone that kind of thing i guess a month a month <laughs> mantra mantra I, i've gone american a a mantra for life sorry um it's in my head now a mantra for life i used to think it was kind of a no regrets you know live your life no regrets and i look back and go i was so busy telling people to have no regrets i did nothing with my life Mm. um so i don't know pick your battles i guess that's what i've definitely learned since having kids pick Mm. your battles i am terrible at that (laughs) they seem (laughs) no because it seems for me uh my battles are the <laughs> the ones I pick are the only ones my son picks, picks with me. I used to have a joke which never worked on stage, really, where I said, uh, they, they always say pick your battles, uh, and I chose Hastings 1066. So whenever I have a <laughs> fight with my son, I poke him in the eye. Never worked on stage because people thought I genuinely poked my son in the eye. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What was the question? No. Um, <laughs> just, Just be... Just be nice. Yeah, I, 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 I put stuff on TikTok recently. I did a video yesterday about the new Doctor Who. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw the video or if you know, but but there's an actor from Sex Education called Shuti Gatwa who is going to be the new Doctor Who. He's a fantastic actor. He's black. He's gay. He's an actor. That's yeah. why he got the job. He's an actor. But I put the thing on TikTok basically taking the mix saying oh it's diversity gone mad it's ridiculous i can't believe it yet again absolutely ridiculous the doctor who the time lord once again being played by a human (laughs) right clearly a joke and the amount of hate it's really can't it's garnering on tick i mean most of my videos just for context most of my videos will get a couple of hundred views maybe a couple of thousand views maybe at a push 10,000 views this currently is at 250,000 is views. it really yeah it's lewd and it's from, since yesterday wow i can't even keep up with the comments they're so ridiculous some are some are very abusive not about me but about um about shooty but some of it is just and you think why what it's fictional it's a yeah effectively a children's tv show get a grip um and I just think if you if you can't if you can't haven't got anything nice to say, get off TikTok. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my advice. That's good advice. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah, I, it's ridiculous. I mean, wait till the new James Bond gets chosen, right? It's just going to be a mess because it's just that people can't understand. And he is a really good actor. I love Sex Education. It's amazing. Yeah, he's and he's great in it. He's he plays every emotion in that show. He plays happy, he plays sad, he plays hurt, abused. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he is such a great actor. Yeah. I, I did it a while ago. Again, there was, I can't, I, is this sound, I can't remember her name now. This is a long time ago. We already know I have a bad memory. But a black actress was cast in the role of Anne Boleyn in a Channel 5 docudrama mm-hmm. about Anne Boleyn. And I put a video on TikTok saying... Uh, something like, I can't believe uh, all the people getting upset about uh, a a black person being cast in a white role and then showed a load of pictures of Jesus and different depictions of him <laughs> in movies over the years. The last one being Brian from The Life of Brian. <laughs> so clearly it's a joke. And that just led to so much hate. I'm I'm a snowflake. I'm a a woke libtard warrior you know it's like oh get a grip clearly these are jokes my name on all social media is phillips comedy 
you know, and and they're the best comeback they've got is, oh, where's the comedy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the joke, mate. It's in the joke. Yeah. But people are unnecessarily offensive, racist, homophobic, transphobic, yeah. misogynistic online in a way they wouldn't be oh, open sure. in public. And why? Why? Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because I, I like when I get called woke. I'm like, okay. Like, mm. I'm glad you're seeing me. You know? I'd rather be. I, I put a video out saying, sorry, what, I'm not sure what I'm missing here. What, what, What is so bad about being woke? And no one could tell... It's, it's a label. It's like calling someone a Karen, which is very unfair because sometimes you genuinely have to complain about something. And as soon as you can yeah. belittle it with a label, like Karen, woke, I don't know, Tory. Oh, no. um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just a label used to put people in their places. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I agree. Okay, so that was good advice. There was a lot there. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't concise. Here, here's some more advice. Don't say two words if you can talk for 20 minutes. <laughs> so you tell you when you do a 45 minute set, do you just really just say, tell one joke? Is that what happens? Yeah. I, I just take questions. <laughs> and then by the end of it, I forgotten what the question was anyway. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Okay. So this last bit is called the fun five and it's just questions I ask every guest. So uh, what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? I have a t-shirt that I had from when I was on my gap year in Israel. I was on a kibbutz called Kibbutz Lotan. It's down in the South, right in the desert. And I worked in maintenance bizarrely and I loved it. Absolutely loved it there. I, you, we were meant to stay for three months and I ended up staying an extra month because I didn't want to mm. do anything else that they were offering. So I stayed, really loved it. And it's a t-shirt where the wording of Lotan, which is written in Hebrew, they've made with palm trees and and I still wear it now as, as a pyjama top because I couldn't wear it for anything else. It's too baggy. No one will allow me to wear it out in public, but it's really comfortable. <laughs> I was on my gap year in 1997 98 so that's how old this t-shirt is wow so yeah that that's my oldest t-shirt nice i do hold on to clothes for a long time and the sad thing about doing video recordings over lockdown has been seeing how rarely i change my clothes (laughs) yeah i well even for me if i look at my website now and see what i wear on the podcast and things just mm. reappear it looks like i have five shirts and yeah always have it i'm always cold so i'm always wearing a jacket of some sort it's ridiculous i get it so during lockdown it seemed a lot like groundhog's day like in the movie so if it really was what song would you have your alarm clock play every morning yeah i don't know how to answer this question because it's not necessarily a song that i like but i used to have as my wake up alarm on my phone was the theme tune to west wing which was my favorite tv show and it became so, well, I became immune to it, I guess. So mm. it didn't really wake me up. And <laughs> ultimately, whoever I might have been sharing a bed with at the time would be more likely to have been woken up by that than I was. And I'd be woken up by them. So I, I don't know if there's a song that kind of speaks to me or anything like that, that helps to answer that question. But I guess I now, if I ever hear that music... I'm triggered to kind of wake up. <laughs> so if, I, if I'm going to watch an episode of West Wing, they, most of these things start with previously on, and then you've got the bit, and then it goes into the theme tune. Yeah. For me, I'd be watching that, and then the theme tune would go, and, I, and I'd be like, right, got to get up, work, school, <laughs> kids, get up. So, yeah. Okay. So, theme to, well, that's that's a new one. I haven't, that's definitely not something I've had. So, hopefully, it's on Spotify and I can add it to my list. Coffee or tea or neither? coffee yeah that's it coffee that's it you sure yeah yeah Great. i do drink tea but coffee okay and can you think of a time i mean hopefully you can because you're a comic but that you laugh so hard like you cried or just couldn't stop laughing or something that just does that to you when you think about it i am a terrible corpser so if i'm on stage and i find something funny 
I won't be able to stop laughing at it. And that's more if I'm in a play than if I'm... Like, I sometimes laugh during my set. If I've told a joke that the audience has laughed at, but they've laughed in such a way that makes me laugh, but I can control that. I did a play many years ago uh, at the Theatre Royal in Windsor, and there was an actor who used to be in a sitcom called Alo Alo, which is quite a famous okay. sitcom here. I don't know how widespread it is, but yeah. very, it was, he was quite a famous uh, sitcom at the time. He, really lovely guy, really, really um, nice, doddery, <laughs> elderly-ish man. And um, he, it was a murder mystery, and he had to, he had to pull out <laughs> of a suitcase a dagger and say he was stabbed with this. Only he pulled out a dagger and said he was strangled with this. <laughs> and I, in my character, because I was playing the sidekick policeman, in my character, I could have gone, you mean stabbed, sir, like that, but didn't because I was too busy laughing. I, I, could, I had to bite my lip. When I mentioned it to him afterwards, he didn't even realise he had done it. And I said, oh, I, I probably should have said something. Maybe I should have said that line, you know, of, uh, I think you mean stabbed, sir. And he went, oh, no, don't be silly. The, the audience won't have noticed either. Look at them. <laughs> it, was, it was like a Saturday matinee. They were all, it's, they're called the Blue Rinse Brigade. It's, they're yeah. all sort of all lovely people, but they're not going to catch the minor details. <laughs> Finer details. That's good. That's actually, that's ridiculous. I used to go see like films like the matinee in this in Midtown Manhattan, and mm. it would look like a parking lot with all the walkers and stuff in the back. Yeah. So I know exactly the crowd, but I'd be the one falling asleep in the theater, ironically. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> all right, and last one: Who inspires you right now? Oh, I hate this question. No one. I'm so. Um, anyone who's <laughs> doing anyone who's doing what they want to do right now inspires mm. me. I'm such a believer that life is yours. And if you're not happy doing what you're doing, then do something else. And when I see someone who is taking that plunge to do something they want to do, even if it's at the expense of their security for job or whatever, if so, when I see someone starting a new life as a comedian or as an actor, writer, whatever, and they're shunning, the safety net that they've built up. I'm in awe of that. I didn't really do it that way. I, I went straight into that. So whilst people look at me and have said, oh, I can never do what you do. Oh, I was brave. I, I don't really see that in myself so much. Um, my sister, I think at the moment, my younger sister, who is, she's on her own. She's in New York and she's just had a baby. Uh, it's something she wanted to do for many years. She tried for a long time and was down to like last couple of attempts mm -hmm. and finally it took and she's just had a baby and we went out there to visit a few weeks ago and I look at her and I mean first of all, I think she's mental but <laughs> I am I'm in awe of someone who again just said do you know what this is what I want this is what it's going to take to get it this is what I might have to sacrifice to get it and although it's not necessarily the journey I would have expected to take or the journey my parents would have expected me to take, that for her was not as important as the end result. And I see her now with her beautiful son and they are amazing together. She is just, you know, in, in America, they get much less time for maternity, as I'm sure you know. So yeah. whereas my wife was able to take a year of maternity leave, all told um my sister had four months and that mm -hmm. was only because her work very kindly gave her an extra month i i think people like that kind of inspire me when i see people just ticking along not happy not doing what they want to do not thinking about a better way of being happy and i don't, I don't mean to sound preachy because there's lots of reasons people don't i just feel sorry i, I feel I think I'm very blessed and I'm very lucky that I knew what I wanted to do since I was 12. My parents were supportive. They were realistic. So they, I had to get a degree and I had to finish school and all that. But 
they were very supportive and they still are. <laughs> mm. So I think, yeah, when, when I see people who are just being true to themselves, that, that inspires me. My, my sister at the moment, she's the one I could look at and go, you're amazing. I mean, we're not, it's not something I'd ever say to her, but if you listen, <laughs> I'll tell her to listen to the podcast. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I I think what she has, uh, what she has achieved, is I mean I, I couldn't do that. I'll, I'll say that right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I I struggle parenting, and I've got a wife who is <laughs> between us. We do very well together. But I, I she's doing it by herself, and I, I think she's amazing. Awesome, cool. And last thing, how do you want people to find you? I would like people to find me on a beach somewhere with a <laughs> pina colada in one hand. Um, I, I'm on all social media at Phillips Comedy. So it's very easy to find me. Phillips Comedy has got one L. I'll let you decide where. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, probably yeah. LinkedIn, YouTube. All of that. School's Out Comedy Club is the kids joke show. I'm really proud of that. So even if you don't buy the joke book, and I think you should buy the joke book, but if you don't buy the joke book, at least maybe entertain your children. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, come and see your live show if you, if you see I'm doing it somewhere near you. If you don't see I'm doing it somewhere near you, invite me. I might come. Or if you, if you work in a school or something like that, I'll come and do it for your kids as well. You talking to me is the podcast so that's myself and fellow comedian rachel krieger uh and it's Jew talking without the g talking to me um what else have i witted on about i don't know fringe Fri- oh my goodness yes fringe i'm gonna be at the edinburgh festival so i'm gonna be at the edinburgh festival i'm taking schools out comedy club for two weeks from the 5th to the 18th at 10 a.m at the surgeon's hall the space but it's a kids show i'd say five plus probably i'll be there for two weeks i'm also doing Jewarama, which is a jewish compilation show so i host it and we get jewish comedians we normally allow one non-jewish comedian on just to make them feel better about themselves <laughs> um uh, that is at whistlebink is at five fifteen. also throughout the fringe i'm only there till the 18th the show will continue beyond that but school's out comedy club only for those days the 5th the 18th and i will be living whilst i'm in edinburgh under a rock for a million pounds a day (laughs) great well (laughs) well people will be able to catch you one way or another then you can see your controversial tiktoks as well i think they should do that don't don't just see the controversial tiktoks comment on them like share them because there's no, there's nothing more fun than trolling the trolls. <laughs> That's true. All right, I'll probably do that after this. So, uh, thanks so much for being on, Philip. I really appreciate it. It was nice chatting with you. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe M A F F I A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at, at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.